Well, you know, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the big questions in life. You know, these are the questions that we all share that no matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter where you grew up, you're going to be faced with these questions. They just come up. It's not like somebody one day steps forward and says, I have a question for you. It's like it's always been there. It's like it just kind of creeps up within you. And really, people spend their entire lives uh, uh, dedicated to trying to find out the answers to these questions. And so we're going to be looking at these and, and seeing what God's Word has to say about these questions. And, you know, it amazes me that, that sometimes the most perplexing questions that we have about life are in a very simple form, aren't they? Like this one that, that we're dealing with tonight. Who am I? I mean, it's pretty basic. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty... But the answer is much more complicated than that, isn't it? But what's, even, uh, what's really amazing is that God's Word provides us with those answers right in front of us, before our very eyes. Those answers are available to us. So today we're going to talk about question number one, who am I? Who am I? I mean, if this one stumps us, then we can't get past it. We, we can't move on. We can't skip over it. It really strikes at the core of our being. I mean, if, if we don't answer this question, we're going to wander aimlessly through life with no direction, no purpose, with no solid footing to push off of for our future. But it's a simple question. And it has these amazing implications. And we're going to look at God's Word. We're actually going to start in the very beginning. We're going to start in Genesis. And, and uh, you know, they, they say, and I have to tell you, I don't know who says this or where it came from, but they say if you don't know where you're from, you don't know where you're going, right? Amen. And as we examine this question of who am I, we find that, that we are created special by God. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31. And this passage is, is the first uh, record of what, what's going on in this world, right? The creation, the heavens, the earth, the creatures, the, the trees, the plants, all of this. And then we come to the, to the end of this first chapter. It's kind of like a, a, a very important closing part of His creation. And you know, on the, uh, on the seventh day, God rested. He took a break. He said, wow, this is amazing what I've created. And, and he was setting an, an example for us. But on this sixth day, at, at the end of chapter one, we find this creation of man and woman. And the last thing is, uh, that he does as far as, as creating is, is a man and a woman. It's really the... The, the incredible feat that he accomplishes. And we're going to discover that our creation says a lot about our worth. We are special. And you know, it's not just your mom saying, yes, honey, you're special. You're important. You're going to do great things. You're going to be president of the United States one day, right? And it's not your grandma saying, yes, honey, you're my favorite grandchild. I always thought that was true, actually. So I've kind of been struggling with that recently. 
<laughs> but we were made special by God. And, and we, we aren't just saying that to, to try to make ourselves feel good. We're, we're seeking the truth. We're seeking to know what God's word has to say about us. We're seeking to know who am I. And so this is the truth. There is something different about the way that we were created. We were created specially by God in a few areas, and, and we're going to go ahead and, and take a look at them. Uh, first is, is the image that God created us in. Actually, let's go ahead and read verses 26 through, through 31. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has, has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. You know, the first thing I want to point out in, in how God made us special is that, that we were made in His image. And you know what? Scholars and theologians have, have really studied this and, and tried to figure out what does it mean that we're made in the image of God. And I want to be honest with you, I don't know all of the implications of that. I don't know what all of that means. There's probably things in there that that I miss, that I don't even see, that we're created in God's image. But I, I do know that, that it speaks of a connection. It speaks of a commonality with our Creator that no other creation has. You won't see this kind of dialogue with any other uh, time that God created anything. It says a lot about who we are and who He made us. And, and I just want to give you a quick taste of, of some of what that means. First, he, he was made, uh, we were made for community, just like he was, just like he is. We thrive for togetherness and, and value and companionship, and that's a reflection of him. Before there was us, and there, before there was this creation, there was God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all in community together. Not only that, but, but we were made with a moral sensibility. And that's part of, of our image. That's part of God's image on us. It's just like He has. We recognize that there's a right and that there's a wrong. You know what? We, we especially now, don't always, can't follow through, right? Maybe we know what's right. Maybe we know what's wrong. Maybe we get it mixed up. But we know that that's true. But what's incredible is that even though we don't always follow through, He does. He always knows what's right and what's wrong. But the core of our being recognizes a moral sensibility. Another part of that image is that, that we were made for creativity. Now, it may seem like a small thing 
But think about this for a second. We're the only creature, the only creation that, that takes a pair of pants and takes the shirt and says, you know what, that looks good together. I think I'll wear that. And you know, it, it may not match, right? But to us, we say, wow, that's, that's good, that works. We have this idea of, of uh, aesthetics that is uh, singular in all of creation. And I don't know about... Uh, uh, my dad, among many things, he was a craftsman. He was a carpenter. And I remember walking through the store, and it could be anything. He'd point to it and say, I, I could make that. They're charging how much for that? Right? I could make that. I can do that. And you know what? I can do it better. Right? That's a part of, of God's creativity in us, to look at something and say, Wow. You know, I can put this together and I can put this together and this, is, this can be beautiful. It's not just a home. It's, it's something more, right? Each of us, each of our homes is decorated in a, in, a, in a way that reflects our personality or maybe our wife's personality, right? But, but no homes are the same. It's unique. It's individual. And that's a part of God's image in us, His creativity. All of this is a display of himself in you. So rejoice in those things. Not only were we created specially by God in, in our image and what we look like, but, but in authority. You can see in verses 26, 28, and 29 that we were given a task, we were given a responsibility. And it had to do with taking care of the earth, taking care of, of uh, and having authority over the creatures on the earth, whether trees or, or animals or, or all of those things, is a big responsibility that he's given to you and to me. He's entrusted us with this task. I don't know about you, but, but what kind of task do you entrust your kid with? Right? I'm not even letting them take care of the dog, right? Much less the, <laughs> the planet. But today... I think that, that we fail to recognize the authority that God has entrusted us with. We've been given a task to be stewards of His, crea- excuse me, of his creation. And you know, I, I think with, with good intentions, our advocacy, our, our advocacy for, for this earth and, and for animals has, has overshadowed the value that we place on human life. And please don't misunderstand me. We are guardians of his creation, and we should stand up when wrong is being committed against it. And maybe that's a passion that God has given your heart. And maybe that's something that that you would stand up for, and I think that's good. But our objections as a whole, as a culture, should be louder when we're talking about issues of human life. There's something special about how God created us. We are created especially by God with, with an incredible image, with, with this authority, but also with a blessing. Look at verses 28 and 29. The ver- first three verse, uh, words, God blessed them. It's kind of a big deal. Again, you don't see that with any of the other uh, creations. 
It's almost a, an anointing, a commissioning, a, a sending you out with my blessing sort of thing. No other creation had that bestowed upon them. It's a special honor. From the start of our existence, it was marked by this blessing. We are a special creation of God. And then in verse 31, you see the quality with which he created us. You can go back in this chapter and and in this story of creation and see a pattern. God created something and he said, it's good. Wow, that's amazing. And you know, from our own perspective, it's kind of an understatement, isn't it? I mean, we look at the galaxies, we look at at uh, the planets, we look at microbiology and we go, wow, right? We're amazed, we're enthralled, we're, we're overwhelmed. But when Jesus, when God created us, he used a, an intensifier. You can see it in the Hebrew. It's not a word that stands alone, but it modifies that word good. We, we might use the word, just like it's translated, very but, but it's kind of like, if you think I'm loud now, I can get louder, right? It's an intensifier. If you think that's good, this is better. Wow, there's something special about this. And God is saying, you know, I think my creation thus far has been good. But this, but you, this is my best work. This is amazing. I've outdone myself, right? When God steps back from his own work and admires it with a wow, that's saying something. We are a special creation of God. And think about this. With all of his other creation, he spoke a word and it came into being. It came into existence. But you can look in Genesis chapter 2. It says that, that God formed the dust of the earth. He, it's like he came down and just used his hands. Instead of his word, he used his hands. This was special. This was important. It it speaks of focus and and attention and craftsmanship. It's like the difference between an apartment complex and city hall, right? One gets the job done. It's important. And the other is to show off. Or it should be to show off, right? You see that attention to detail. And we are made with the best stuff on earth. Now, this story is, is different than what we're being told on a daily basis, isn't it? You know, at school, at, at work, on TV, think about what the theory of evolution is teaching us and our kids. You're just another step in the evolutionary chain. You have the same intrinsic value as a grasshopper. You aren't distinct, you aren't different, you aren't special, and in the scheme of things, you aren't important. And ultimately, if we really, truly carry out the values of evolution, we have no responsibility to the world around us. We don't need to be nature's guardian. We need to just make sure that we stay stronger than the other guy. And if something stronger or better comes along and and takes over our world, well, that's a good thing. (laughs) That's how it's supposed to be. But as for me, I'm going to watch out for myself. Aren't you thankful that we are God's workmanship and not man's? If you want to continue to to be in wonder about how God specially made you, 
write down uh, Psalm 139. Look it up later. Spend time in this psalm. It's an incredible uh, uh, declaration of, of our relationship with God and how he knew us and, and how he is intimate with all of our ways. He knows everything about us. We're not just some uh, creation that just came out of nowhere. He made us special. And there's no doubt about it. But as we think about this question of, of who I am, without a doubt God made us special, but you know what? Something happened. Something changed in us. This, this image, this reflection of God became marred. It's like someone took a can of spray paint to, to the Mona Lisa or, or a hammer to the statue of David and we're no longer the bright, shining image of God. I mean, you can make it out if you look hard enough. If you really peer into it, you can see, oh, okay, I can kind of see that. But it's been defaced. What happened? By our own sin, we are separated drastically from God. It's a part of the answer to this question of who am I? We are separated drastically from God. Who am I? Well, you're a sinner. Okay, and, and before you say, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> We're doing that name-calling thing again. I'm not talking just about you. I'm talking about everybody. All of us. It's a reality. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 1. Go ahead and, and turn there. Romans chapter 1. And we're going to answer some of this. But if sin has, has done a devastating work that, that affects the core of who we are, we need to ask, what is sin? And maybe you say, you know, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't rob anybody. I haven't been, uh, I, I've, I have been faithful to my spouse. I don't do those big sins. Good. I'm glad to hear it. And for the sake of those around you, I'm glad to hear it. And you know, even as we look at society, we as a whole recognize right and wrong, Right? It's a part of the image of God that's kind of uh, embedded in us. As a whole, we see certain things as sin. And we, we take measures to stop it in our culture. We take measures to say, whoa, that's not right. You shouldn't do that. That's not appropriate. That's why we have laws. That's why we have penalties. To get people to stop sinning. <laughs> stop doing bad things. And you know, we don't always, as a, as a culture, as a society, any culture, get it right. We, we don't understand all of, of the penalty that's involved in, in sin, of right and wrong, but we do acknowledge it. In fact, when Paul was dealing with immorality in the church of Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 5.1, he says that, that even the Gentiles, even the unbelievers, even the Corinthians, who had very little restraints, considered this to be wrong. And we say, that's right. You know, there are people in this world who do bad things, and we can't deny that, right? It's, it's a fact. And you know what? They should be punished. And if there is a God, they will be punished. Today, I want you to have no doubt. If that's a struggle in your life, if someone has wronged you in, in a drastic, dramatic way, have no doubt that there is a God, and there is a punishment. 
where there is sin, there is a punishment to be dealt with. But we like to measure ourselves next to the worst offender, don't we? Well, compared to that person, I'm doing great. At least I don't do that, or I never did this. And before we feel too much of that righteous indignation welling up inside of us, let's look at Romans chapter 1, verse 25. It really gives us a, a simple definition of sin. It says, for they, and every time you see they in this passage, put you, okay? For you exchange the truth of God for a lie. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden, isn't it? They exchanged the truth of God. God told them, this is what's right for you, this is what's best for you. And they said, you know what, God? Eh, I'm going to try this way. And it was a lie that they believed. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Instead of worshipping the true God, we fall for someone else's lie. Sometimes we even fall for our own lies. And we trust ourselves. You know, you and I are pretty special. Mankind had a special relationship with God, and we said, no thanks. I'm going to try and figure it out on my own. And the result is that we miss the mark. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. It's like trying to jump across Lake George, right? You might be able to do it in the winter. I don't, I don't know. But I may be able to jump three feet. But I'm not going to make it, am I? And you come along and you say, Oh, Chris, come on. I can do better than that. And you do. You jump an amazing ten feet. But guess what? You fell short. <laughs> and now you're soaked in the middle of Lake George. Not even the middle. <laughs> Neither of us jumped across Lake George. We both fell short. But the consequences of sin are much greater than just being in Lake George. Because where there is sin, there is a punishment to be dealt with. And in case we think that, that we're somehow innocent bystanders when, standards when it comes to dealing with the punishment for sin, take a look at, at the list that Paul gives in the next verses. In this passage, we tend to focus on the big sins. We, we tend to look at murder and say, oh, that's not me. Phew, I'm good. But just for a moment, I want you to block those out. Block those big ultra sins out, Okay? And see how many identify you. Look at verse 29 and following. It says, Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, 
without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Think about that for a moment. Wow. You know, as I look at that list, I get a little frustrated because it's like I can circle each one of those and say, that's me. Yep, there we go again. Okay, here we go. That's enough. Oh, boy, there comes another one, right? And if that wasn't bad enough, verse 32 says, and, and although they are, although we know the ordinance of God, we know what's right and what's wrong, that those who practice such things, those things that, that are mentioned of, uh, above, are worthy of death. We know that they're worthy of death. We know it's wrong. We know that, man, we deserve this separation from God. We not only do the same, we not only participate in these things, but we give hearty approval to those who practice them. We say, hey, look, he's doing the same thing. That's, go get him. Right? Hey, in the business world, you gotta, you got to be sly. you got to, you know, kind of... How many times have we encouraged others through our actions or our words to actively participate in these behaviors? And I think of that, that word gossip. It, it, it's almost like a, an infection, right? You tell this person, I mean, that's the nature of gossip. You tell this person, it spreads, spreads, spreads. You're encouraging someone to do something that separates them from God. Imagine being in the same room with a murderer. Would that make you feel uncomfortable? If it was just you and this person, wouldn't you want some separation? Wouldn't you want some, okay, this guy is, wow, I better watch out, right? And we are sinners just like that person. But the difference is, with all of our sin, and we're comparing ourselves to that person, God is holy, he is perfect. He is without sin. I mean, in my mind, that says, wow, God can't be near me. He must feel uncomfortable near me. Because, man, what I've done. You know, as we look in the mirror, what is it that's staring back at us? Not as compared with anyone else, but simply compared to Him. To almighty, perfect, just, holy, righteous God. The Bible uses the word repent a lot. And, and it means to turn around. To turn from what we're doing and go in the opposite direction. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. And so what we need to do is, is turn around. We need to admit that we're wrong. We need to admit that we made a mistake, right? How could we trust in anything but you, God? But you know what? What's done is done. And remember, where there is sin... There is a punishment to be dealt with. But that's why it's called the good news, right? Right. Did you know today that, that what Jesus did on the cross was endure your punishment for sin? That punishment that you deserve for all those things that you did when you pushed yourself away from God, when all of us did that, 
He endured that punishment on the cross. Can you imagine? Can't you see his incredible love? From the very start, he made you special. And even though we walked away, even though we pushed him away and separated ourselves from him, he loved us so much that he made a payment to get us back. That's incredible. He brought about a relationship that we thought was impossible. He has given us new life, and and if we accept him, if we trust him, then sin no longer defines us. We don't have to pay that penalty anymore. It isn't who we are. Yes, we struggle. Yes, we sin, but nothing can change that relationship that he has established. And You know, this new relationship defines us more than our sin defined us in the past. God has given us a a new purpose, and and it's now become a part of our identity, a part of our answer to the question, who am I? Amen. Not only are, are we made special by God, His handiwork, not only are we sinners saved by grace, I am repurposed eternally for God. He has a purpose, He has a plan for my life. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's incredible. After all of that, the the sin, the punishment, the payment, he is restoring the image of God in us. Just like the the one who carefully uh, repairs the painting that's been vandalized. God begins to work in us so that the world can see Christ through us. Now we have a direction for life. And Paul uses the the picture of a body to describe our relationship, our purpose in Christ, and our relationship with each other as believers. As those who are on the same page about God and those who have experienced what only He can do for us. In chapter 12, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 12, 18, says, But now God has placed... Uh, the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. Let me repeat that. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, he's placed you in the body just as he desires. Can we marvel at that for a minute? I mean, it's like he knows our giftings and abilities. Oh yeah, he is our creator after all, isn't he? He knows who we are. He knows where we would best fit. And it's like he's picked you up, examined you, and said, this is where I want you. It's an individual thing. This is where you will fit into my body. And the most remarkable thing is that he's placing us within his body. He says, you are what I want. You're what I'm looking for. I was looking to fill this spot in the body and that's you. I want you, I want the world to know me by you. I want the world to see me through you. Man, would you just say to God, God, I'll let you use me wherever you want. I know you're not just throwing us together. I know it's not just a a random thing. You are placing us within the body of Christ. Okay, Lord, place me. Put me where you want me. Use me. 
wow, that I could act in any way on his behalf, it blows me away. But it's a daunting task, isn't it? When we think about the gravity of that, he has given us, uh, he, he didn't leave us to be on, in this alone. He didn't leave us to do this on our own, to be a demonstration of him in this world. He gave us his Holy Spirit to demonstrate himself in our lives. Wow. Now look at verse 7. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But to each one, to you, as a believer, you have been given the manifestation of the Spirit. You've been given a, a showing, a display, a revelation of the Spirit in you for the common good. It's, it's others' focus. It's for other people's benefit. God has given us the tools that we need through His Spirit to accomplish His purpose in this world and in the lives of those around us as we uh, are the body of Christ together. These tools help us to function within the body. You know, you'll hear many people refer to them as the gifts of the Spirit. And that's just what they are, gifts. Our response should be, oh, wow, God, you shouldn't have, right? No, really, you shouldn't have. But I'm so thankful. You know, and you can look through this passage and, and you can and read this, and, and we're going to talk about this more next week, what are the gifts of the Spirit, but they can be grouped really into these three general categories. Speaking, uh, speaking gifts. It's demonstrated primarily through the voice, right? Hence, speaking gifts. Others hear what is said and get a clear picture of who God is. Isn't it incredible that, that we can get a picture of who God is? And you know what? God uses people in that way. Serving gifts. These are, are demonstrated through the hands. The, the body and the world see God uh, in your spirit-given ability to serve others in a unique way. God has gifted you. Don't, don't sell yourself short. Don't say, well, I, I can't do that. I can't serve in that way. You know what? If God has gifted you, if God has given you this gift of the Spirit, you can. And the third is sign gifts. These, were, were, uh, these demonstrated clearly the validity of the message that was being shared about Christ. It was kind of like a, a wow. Uh, what they're saying must be true. What those people who are talking about Christ, who are giving us a picture of Christ, wow, that must be true, because did you just see? It was an amazing way that, that God demonstrated His trustworthiness. And here's the goal of all of this. The gifts of the Spirit, are, the goal is, is found in 1 Peter 4.11. It says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. And whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. In other words, it's dependent on God, not dependent on us. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. It's not about me, it's about Him. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, we've seen two different verses that, that have this amen at the end. 
It's like the writer just gets so excited. He's just like, wow, this is really neat. He's saying, Lord, I stand in awe of you. Yours is the dominion and the glory. And we just, wow, we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of showing you that glory. How amazing is it that we can add this to our story, that, that we can answer in this way the question, who am I? I am repurposed. I'm equipped for his use. You know, as we take an honest look at who we are, we find that our lives are constantly surrounded by the love of God. We are his special creation. Can you see his, his care and concern for your life? If not, go back to Genesis 1. Start at the beginning because he made you in such a way to say, wow, you are special. You are important. There's something about what I did here, what God created. But he steps back and says, wow. And then we see that we're sinners separated from God. And it's his love that made things right and that makes things right. And you know what? We're called and equipped for his purposes. Can you believe it? That God would use me? That that would be a part of who I am is that I get to bring glory to God. I don't know about you, but I am amazed when someone loves me. (laughs) Right? I know who I am, but for someone to say, I love you no matter what, how much more amazing is it that Almighty God who created the universe, who is far superior, far beyond anything that we can imagine, anything that we can touch, anything that we could conjure up with our mind, He loves you. I want that to wash over you today. God loves you. And it's demonstrated throughout all of Scripture. Let's pray. Father, we come before you And we are thankful for who you are. We are thankful that that you have brought us new life, new strength. We're thankful that you have made us special, that you have conquered the sin that was so much a part of our lives, that, that marred the image of God. You're taking that away, and day by day, you're helping us to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, to, to fulfill that image once again. And Lord, I thank you that you've allowed us, you are allowing us to be a part of your body. Lord, you're not just throwing us together. You have designed something and you've picked me up and said, this is where I want you. I want you to serve in this way or I want you to do this. Father, thank you. It's a privilege, it's an honor together as we worship together for every one of us to have a place, to have a purpose, to have a goal. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.